Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for today comes from the Gospel according to St. Luke, the 23rd chapter. My dear friends in Christ, well, if you were paying any bit of attention, you would notice that our Gospel lesson from today is kind of a strange one. We think of the last day as portents of judgment. But here we find on this last Sunday of the church year, our Lord's very crucifixion. Strange, right? Except not so much. Because what we have here from the Gospel of St. Luke is a small picture of what the end times actually contain for us. In this, it is a very tiny, granted, picture of how it's going to go. And I can tell you that for many, it will not go well. When we are speaking of those last things, it seems that the entire world will be in tumult. Let's look at some of the things that are going on here. Jesus carrying that cross on his back, walking on the Via Dolorosa, down towards that place that is called the skull, Golgotha, to be crucified. And all those people who had so loudly welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem, the ones who had not been turned by the Pharisees, are weeping for him now, the king that they had welcomed that day when he rode in on the donkey, are weeping, for their hopes seem to be dashed. And Jesus says, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves. can't imagine that if I were on my way to my deathbed that, well, I would be able to say that same thing. But there it is. Jesus says, weep for yourselves and for your children. Don't weep for me. Jesus knows the end. Jesus has been telling them the end. For three years of his ministry, Jesus has been saying, I must be put to death and I will rise again. And yet so many had not faith to hear. But now he says to them, weep for yourselves and for your children because the days are coming when it will be better off for you not to have had children at all. We talked a little bit about that last week, right? Where in Jerusalem under siege of the Romans, it was so bad that, well, mothers were forced to eat even their children. It's not a high point of history. But Jesus puts it out here. And he says, can you imagine doing that? And on top of that, I think it's almost the same as at the very end of time, where this world is going to grow darker and darker still. You think it's bad now? You have no idea what's to come. And so if it was so bad in Jerusalem in the year 70, imagine what it will be at the very last day. When facing the world, when facing the coming judgment of the Christ, it is better for you to ask for a mountain to fall down on top of you and to crush you, or for a hill to take you in a rock slide. It's better for that to happen than to live anymore. 
The last day is a dark one, my friends. And Jesus says, if they do these things, when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Do you wonder what these things are? It's almost as if he can point to his flayed open back, his very spine and ribs sticking out. The crown of thorns upon his head. The mocking. The cheering. The stink of death coming off of him. If they do these things while the wood is green, while the earth is fertile, while time still remains, what will happen when the earth is dry, when it is about to be plucked off the tree, when it is about to be burned up as kindling for the fire. If we do this to our God, what will it be at the end for the rest of us? And this is what the thief on the cross is trying to get at as well. When they're hanging there at the end and one thief is railing at Jesus saying, save yourself and us. The other thief looks at him and says, don't be dumb. If they do this to God, what's the most that you could expect that they do to you? If they put our God to death in this manner, what should you expect for yourself? So when it comes to this text... We sit in two places. One, in the expectation that the world will attack us, will defeat us, at least it's going to try. It will throw everything, including the kitchen sink, at us to try to turn our eyes away from God and into despair. And at the same time, we are there to, well, Expect a little bit something more. You see, really what it is, is we should be counting ourselves as the Pharisees, as the Jews, as the soldiers surrounding Jesus. We should be counted as those who would put him to death. And lest you think that you would be innocent in this, that you would be one of those daughters of Jerusalem who would be weeping for him along the way, I would like for you just to consider the very fact that it is for your sins that Christ was put to death. And if you knew that, you would do it. Granted, this is why he's come. Granted, this was the plan before the foundation of the earth. But still, knowing that Jesus would bear the punishment of your sins, you still would put him to death. You would have been the one with the hammer, nailing his arms into that plank of wood. You would have been the one with the whip that was filled with glass and metal, stripping his back down into ribbons. You would have been the one to tie his wrists around the rock. You would have been the one to spit on him. You would have been the one to rip out his beard. You would have been the one to mock him and to punch him in the jaw. Make no mistake, that evil person rests in each and every single one of us. You think you can't do that? You are greatly mistaken. If you think you can't do that, then you don't understand the state of the sin that you have. 
All of us are found to be sinners. All of us are guilty of crucifying our Lord. But that is not the last word. Not even from the thief of the cross looking at Jesus, knowing that he is under the same sentence of condemnation, he says to his Lord, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. For all that this man has done, for the robbery that he has committed, or the insurrection that he has taken over, even, and we find in other Gospels, at one point, he also was mocking Jesus for a time. For all of this and more, for the very fact that this man is a sinner, he repents of his sin, looking at his crucified Lord and says, bring me to where you are. And we would expect Jesus to say nothing. Because his crucifixion is excruciating. Crucifixion, my friends, is drowning. To have your arms raised above you in such a way that you're having to pull yourself up all the time just to breathe. What happens is your lungs begin to fill with fluid. You pull yourself up to relieve that pressure, but no matter how much you try, you are going to let yourself back down. It is an excruciating thing to happen. For most people, it would take three days at the very least for them to die. For Jesus, you can imagine how excruciating it must have been, for he died in three hours. But here we have our Jesus who doesn't say nothing in the face of repentance. For where there is repentance, there is always the forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus, in his excruciating pain, gasps from the cross a gospel proclamation for this man who has repented. Today you will be with me in paradise. Imagine the strength that that took. Did that take a minute, ten minutes off of Jesus' life? And yet it was enough for him to say, there is one sheep who has gone astray that is now reclaimed from the cliffside and brought back to the fold. This is what the shepherd has come to do, to find his sheep and to bring them home with him. And it doesn't even stop on the cross. This narrative we have is a picture of the end where the king of Jews reigns from the cross and the world treats him shamefully. Jesus says, when the world mistreats you, the world does not know you. Take heart because it did not know me first. The world would put our Lord to death. And if they do this to God, if they're not afraid to do it to God, what are they going to do to you? But then the question really is, what are they going to do to you? Does it matter? Does it matter if someone comes into this church and shoots us all dead? Does it matter if we are prosecuted, tried, and put in jail for our beliefs. 
Does it matter if the electricity of your home or this building is shut off? The water is kinked out. And we suffer through that. Does it matter if there is violence and civil war across the face of the earth for the, faith, for the very fact that we have faith? The end is coming. And how it gets here should not matter to us. It matters what we do in the meantime as we go out and share the gospel, as we serve those whom our Lord has given us to love and to serve. But, my friends, the end is coming. And we should not be like the world, begging the mountains to fall on us and the hills to cover us. Instead, we pray, come Lord Jesus. We pray for Him to come speedily. We pray for His reign to come to this place, for His fire to come on the earth and to burn up all that is chaff. We look at this day, we even look at our death, should that come before His return as an old friend, as a portal from this life into the next. Because my friends, this life, it is not enough to have hope in this temporal world. This life is fine in many ways, but this life is poor for it is still sinful. We are still lacking the full righteousness, the glorification of our bodies as Jesus is glorified. This world must pass away. We must suffer. We must be persecuted and martyred. We must be marginalized. We must be put to the side. The church, our Lord's bride, is not about power. It is not about making sure that everything and everyone does what we say they should do because we know better in Christ. We do, but that's not what we're about. We warn people the end is coming. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we rejoice when one is gained back to the kingdom that their sins are forgiven and they are welcomed into that sheepfold of Christ to have, as Malachi says, their names written in that book. That book that will be opened on the last day. That's what we work for in this world. But that is not a place of power, my friends. That is a place of weakness. That is a place of service, of servitude. We serve our neighbors. We serve our brothers, our sisters. And we do it knowing that Christ is soon coming. I know we see, it seems that it's been a long time. Christ promised that he would be coming again soon. The apostles expected it at the end of their lifetime. We have expected it in the church every year since. It has been 2,000 years. My friends, it's true. Christ may tarry. Or Christ might be back this afternoon. We don't know. And so we must be prepared for the end. How is it then that we are prepared for this? This picture that we have in the Gospel of Luke today, this narrative of the crucifixion, gives us a glimpse. It tells us exactly what it is that we should be doing. We should be looking to the crucified Christ. We should be holding to Him. 
not for his sake, but for our sake, that we, like the thief on the cross, might repent and be forgiven, that we might be welcomed into everlasting life, and that we might indeed bring as many with us as are able. My friends, this is the end. We are getting close. Repent and be forgiven just as you have been this day. Do this all the time. Do not stop as we await for our Lord's return. For indeed, our Lord is coming soon. Even as we head into this Advent season where we anxiously await that second coming, we turn our eyes to knowing that the judgment is for us a good thing. And we rejoice. That is why the season of Advent we cannot contain our joy. For our Lord is coming. And he is coming soon. To forgive you. To raise you from the dead. And to bring you into life everlasting. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all human understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.